the spring. Um, feels like Christmas in May, doesn't it? Which is just a little odd. Uh, but Christmas, just thinking about that for a minute, as long as we're there, okay, fine, we're there. So um, Christmas is a time, a season of, of expectations and surprises, right, with all the gift giving, and that, that makes sense if you can think back to, to just a few months ago. Uh, and that's good in and of itself. There's nothing wrong. In fact, it can be a great thing, all that, that those gift exchanges and, and whatnot. Um, you know, just the simple delight in the giving and the receiving, especially, right, when, when your guests what you thought you were getting is confirmed, and, and that's, that's all grand, I suppose. But it can also be good. It can also be good when you're humbled in the course of all those expectations and surprises, when it turns out that your guess, as far as what you were going to get, is no more weighty and sub- substantive than the wrapping paper that surrounded it. It can be good to go through the experience of having your expectations corrected. And not just with gifts wrapped up in paper and given and received in December. But the gift of gifts, Jesus himself, given by the Father and who gave himself uh, for us. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, that's where we are uh, in our series, just getting underway, just getting underway, really. We're in Matthew chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week. So if you have a Bible, I'd ask you to turn there now with me. Uh, that's the first of the four Gospels that we have, Matthew, then Mark, and then Luke, and then John. We are in Matthew 1, uh, picking up in verse 18, and we are going to read to the, the end of the chapter. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. Hear now God's word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, as the psalmist reminds us, your testimonies are wonderful. The unfolding of your words gives light, imparting understanding to the simple. And so this morning we open our mouths and pant, longing for your commandments, longing for you to turn to us and be gracious to us. That you would keep steady our steps according to your promise, not letting iniquity getting dominion over us. We ask that you would make your face to shine upon us and teach us your ways. Thank you for this time. and Thank you that we could pray such things, not in vain. Amen. So Joseph, 
Joseph is the carpenter. Joseph is the foster father. Uh, Joseph is the guy in the birth narratives and the nativity scenes who gets so little attention and so little notice. Poor guy. I remember years ago joking with members of the worship team as we were talking about well, what songs we were going to intersperse over the course of that year's December. And this is what I half-jokingly said. Okay, here's what we need to do. Take the list of songs that we want to cover this month. Take the ones that we're going to do for Mary and the angels and the shepherds and the magi and whatever's left over, we'll give Joseph. Poor guy. He gets no love. Um, you know, the, the, uh, n the narratives, the, uh, the, the, what am I looking for? The fictional, historical fiction stuff, it's hardly anything there for him. Uh, what is there is usually pretty lame. Um, not a lot scholarly literature written on, uh, on Joseph. It's worth noting, by the way, if, if you're reading here in Matthew, in the opening chapters of Matthew, and then you make a comparison to the opening chapters of Luke, you will note that they don't start off in the same way. And you might think, well, what's up with that? Are they contradicting themselves? Is this two different... What, what's going on here? Well, this is what's going on here. Luke, for the most part, is telling the story, giving us insight, perspective, from Mary's experience. And Matthew is giving us the perspective, the experience, from Joseph's perspective. And in particular, Matthew has a desire to show us how Jesus' royal lineage, the legal tie that he has to going all the way back, we talked about this last week, going all the way back to King David as the son of David, goes through Joseph. And that is certainly one of Matthew's emphases that we see here. Okay, all that said. What does Joseph's experience teach us? Just here. What do we learn? What's conveyed? What can we call from this? What sort of themes do we see here coming forth from the passage? I think, frankly, some things that are uh, really encouraging, maybe surprising, uh, quite beautiful, though. And they go along these lines, these themes, that the God who sends his Son to save his people also delights to surprise his people. The God who sends his Son to save his people also delights in surprising his people. And I would add this. We need that. We need to be, from time to time, jarred from our complacency, awakened from our slumber, and just surprised. We see that in three ways, at least these three ways. I'm going to look at it over here the next, over the next few minutes. God, how he redirects us, ennobles us, and loves us, all of which is quite surprising. First, God, how he redirects us. Verses 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. It seems that God in his love does not leave us to ourselves. Joseph had every reason, if I can put it that way, every reason to divorce Mary quietly. Now, what's going on here? You got, we need to understand something of Jewish marriage customs of the time, because if you don't understand that, this is really confusing. They're betrothed, they're husband and wife. What's going on here? The customs were something like this. Perhaps even at an early age at times, 
a, a Jewish mother and father would make arrangements with another family for their son to be married to that girl. And that might be, again, when they're children. And much, much later, there is a betrothal period that was formed by legal contract. They are now known as husband and wife, though they have not consummated the relationship. That can be broken. It's so formal, this betrothal period. It's so formal, it can be broken only by divorce. They're not married yet. The wedding hasn't happened yet. They're not married. They're in this interim period. Betrothal. That's where Joseph and Mary are at this point. And by the way, sexual infidelity is a deal breaker. Mary's pregnant. Matthew makes clear mm, they have not come together. Joseph, with this in mind... Uh, well, we are, he's described here as a, as a just man, a kind man. So on the one hand, he cares about the institution of marriage and its sacredness, and at the same time, he cares for Mary. And so this is what he decides to do. I'm going to honor both at the same time. I'm going to divorce her, but not in a shameful way. I'm going to do it quietly, which seems to make sense until... And it's, you know, Matthew uses the word intentionally here in verse 20. Behold, interruption of plan. Behold, God intervenes. God intervenes. It seems protecting Joseph and Mary from Joseph, if I can put it that way. Verses 20 through 21, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, you need to understand what is forming, what has formed and is growing in Mary's womb is not about something she's done. It's about something that God has done. Do not fear. Do not divorce her. Oh, no. You're to do just the opposite. You're to take her as your wife. You're to take that boy as your own to name him and adopt him. God is intervening. God is redirecting. God is, again, protecting Joseph, if you will, and his wife from himself. Do we not need to hear that? The hope, perhaps, that he might still be in the business of doing that today, of redirecting us, that the same God who put the stars up in the heavens and moves them still moves, even redirecting his people from the past that they would otherwise be going down out of love for them. Think of it as, as to how needed this is for us at times. We get so accustomed to thinking in, in, in a certain way. We're so sure of our actions and our paths. Maybe it's because of our upbringing, right? This is how my mama raised me. It's Mother's Day, i got to say that. Maybe it's my temperament. Maybe it's my personality. Maybe it's the scars. Maybe it's the wounds. Maybe it's the experiences that I've had that take me in a certain direction. And I, you're, you're, pretty, you're set. You're sure. Frankly, you're stuck. And God in His grace comes and redirects you. But it might not just be that innocently. It might be something more like this. Because of your lust, because of your hate, 
because of your bitterness, because of your covetousness. You need to be redirected. And God in His grace comes into your life and says, Behold. There's a divine intervention, a divine interruption, a divine redirecting. My friends, we need to hear that. That's a message of, of hope. It's the, a surprising reminder of His redirecting love. Secondly, God, not just He doesn't just at times He's willing to redirect us. He also is glad to ennoble us. We see something that here. Uh, it's an ennobling love, a redirecting love, and ennobling love. We see that here with Joseph too. Now, what do we know of Joseph? What we know of Joseph is not formed from a single photo. It's a composite image. You have to take a little bit from over here and a little bit from over there to kind of bring this picture together. We know in terms of his trade. Uh, Mark describes him, I think, yeah, di uh, directly as a carpenter. Matthew later on refers to Jesus as, as the carpenter's son. We know he's a, a carpenter. He works with wood. He works with his hands. He works with stone. He's a craftsman. And, and we know something of the man's character as well. I've already said he's just and he's kind. Certainly it comes out here in Matthew 1. But when you look at uh, Matthew 1 and Luke 2 in particular, bringing these things together we come to realize he's patient, he's protective, and he's pious. Patient, think with me. How would you like shepherds invading your nursery? <laughs> or the magi coming in as they did just a couple years later. Uh, or, or protective as he takes his wife and child on that dangerous journey down to Egypt. Or pious, and I mean that in the best sense of the word those regular visits to the temple. All that says is that's a little bit we do know of the man. There's a lot we don't know of the man. You know, what's he thinking at this moment, right? When he discovers that Mary is with child, likely when you bring into Luke's account, likely some months pregnant with child now at this point. Um, is he ashamed? Is he embarrassed? Is he angry? The angel says, did you notice this? Don't be afraid. Hard to know what's exactly going on there, you know. And certainly he's surprised with the announcement as to where this child, well, who this child is and where he has come from. Got to wonder when the child is born. That, that mixture there, right, in the, the, the birth narrative, the nativity, in the cave, in the stable. Dads, how would you feel? Wonder? Maybe a little embarrassment that this is where your boy is coming in less than pristine conditions like, like this. It's hard. Again, it's, it's hard to know. What's, what we do know is, is that we don't know a lot. It sort of stops. The Joseph story stops pretty early on. Um, the last we hear of him is when Jesus is 12 years old, that incident at the temple. That's it. Nothing else. 20 years later, no mention of Joseph in the course of Jesus' earthly ministry. John tells us as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he commits the care of his mother to one of his disciples, which tells us what? Likely Joseph is dead. Okay. Why am I bothered with all this? Why does a, this piecemeal biography of Joseph matter at all? Because of his task and how significant it was. Joseph is called, get this, this is important in Jewish culture to name that child. Now, naming meant something in the Jewish culture. To, to name a thing 
or, or a person meant to understand the nature of the thing or the person and actually even to have authority. At times, even in the Old Testament, the implication is that even knowing the name can have some freight. So for a parent to name the child is a significant act. Now think with me. Joseph is called to name this child. Think of the paradox here. He's supposed to name this child, exercising knowledge and authority as the foster father. At the same time, what is he to name him? He is to name this one who is the very name that Joseph is giving him. Let your head spin on this for a little while. My point in bringing this up is the significance of Joseph's task, this man that we don't know a whole lot about, who gets so very little press, and again, my point with that being, God leaves no one out. There are no nobodies. Not in the ways that he works. Even the seemingly small is vital to him. Now Joseph might have, he might have assessed himself and his contribution to this whole thing by saying, look, you know, my taking care of Mary, my take, raising, taking them down to Egypt and, and, and taking Jesus as my own and raising him as I did. I mean, anybody would have done that, right? To which we have to say, hmm, probably not. Joseph, here's what happened. The Lord took your ordinary daily trust and faithfulness and did fantastic things through it. Do you see how there is, there is nothing small about this at all? Mothers. It is a huge thing. It is a significant thing for you to change diaper after diaper after diaper after diaper. That is not a small thing. And to love that child. Let's expand this beyond motherhood. It is not a small thing to work hard in that job and to keep at it even when it's hard. It is not a small thing, students, to show the respect that your teacher is due and to... Uh, Love well your fellow students in that classroom. That is not a small thing. It is not a small thing to speak little and listen much to someone else in their hurt, even when your heart is about to explode with the turmoil that's going on in you. That is not a small thing. Now, you might say in response to all those things, yeah, they are small things. They're little things. What's a big deal? They are a big deal. You understand there is no small thing. Francis Schaeffer wrote a wonderful little book years ago, No Little People, No Little Places. Those are oxymorons in the ways of God. And Joseph is living testimony of that. We have a surprising reminder of God's ennobling love here. Lastly. And this is the most important of the three, to be sure. Not just his redirecting love. It's important. Not just ennobling love. That's important. But his saving love. If you miss this, you've missed it all. Who is this? Who is this? And what has he come to be and to do? Um, Matthew 1, 21. Again, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What has he come to do? 
the angel tells us, to save us from our sins. Now, won't you just let that settle in for a minute? Well, I don't have a minute, but I'm looking at the clock. But let it settle in. He's come to save us from our sins, not our mistakes, not our lack. If we just could do a little better, that would be mercy, actually. That would be help, aid given to the undeserving, those with no claim. What the angel is speaking of here is grace. It goes beyond a step beyond mercy. Help, aid, love for the ill-deserving. You understand the difference? The first is with no claim, just really deserving nothing, but getting something nonetheless. The second is deserving not nothing, not neutral, but the opposite of what love is giving. Those are worlds apart. And the angel is speaking here of one who has come, Jesus, to save his people from their sins. You've heard me say this, some of you, from time to time. I'll say it again. From the very penalty of our sin, what we deserve, from the very power over sin and all of its enslaving effects. And one day, praise God, its very presence in this world. And that is, in the richest sense, is what it means for to be saved. And that is Jesus. That is his, his very name. What's what he's come to be and to do. A salvation he has come to bring that is, goes far deeper in and goes far further out than most anyone in the, at those times, and I fear even these times, seems to understand. It's what he's come to do. But who is he? Who is it that's come? Well, again, his name is Jesus. We learn that from verse 21. Let's pick up in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So is this just good intentions or can it be done? Who is this that's come to do this? His name is Jesus, which means literally Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Now that was a common name at the time. It was but it was meant to point to something, and that is, it was an Old Testament reality that everybody knew about this. Only God could do that. Only God could save. That name is pointing to something, pointing to, in this case, to the one who's come to do it. You understand, with Jesus, it's not just, who is he? It's not just God is going to say, God is bringing salvation through him. That's not, no. God is him. And he has come to save. I know it's bad grammar. But God is him, and he's come to save. That's who this is. And if you didn't get it, if that's not clear enough, then we learn from this prophecy, Emmanuel, Isaiah 7, a prophecy gave, given 700 years prior to his arrival, fulfilled partially at the time, but in full, like a like a mountain range, yeah, an immediate hill, right? Emmanuel's been fulfilled 700 years ago. I don't have the time to get into all that with Ahaz and Assyrians and everything else, but a further hill, you look further back in the, the, the horizon, and there's this other one that is coming to fulfill this, Emmanuel. God with us. The one who's come to save us is with us. I remember my, my trip I took a few months ago to, to Israel, and uh, we had a great guide. 
a really his name we we would look at his name and say his name is Joab, but in in Hebrew it's pronounced Yoav. Yoav, great guy, a retired Israeli intelligence officer. He had, just knows his stuff. I mean, he took us to to archaeological sites and made ancient history come alive. He he introduced us to people. I mean, some fascinating. People ate some interesting stuff too, but yeah. Um, also went to places because of this guy and his connections that most tourists don't get to go to, including, by the way, Mount Bental on the Golan Heights. And I remember standing up on that hillside and he pointed us looking down into this valley in this little village down there. I don't know how many miles away it was, but he said, hey, nobody's been shelled up here in a long, long time. And in that little village, he said, hey, you know what? See that? ISIS, Al-Qaeda. Syrian rebels, Syrian army, and he listed off a whole bunch of others that I just lost track of because once he said those four, I was like, huh? I'm really glad he didn't leave us there. It's good to have a good guide. It's even better to have a God who does not leave you, who is Emmanuel, who stays with us. Do we not need to hear that? You think in terms of the, the pro, pick up the newspaper. If you, do we read newspapers? Go on the internet. Problems abroad, right? Power-hungry despots. Um, crazed, misguided zealots. Persecution, war, famine, disease. Okay, let's look closer to home. Our country being torn apart these days by uh, debates, polarizing debates on some of the most fundamental issues we could possibly even be discussing, to say nothing about debating. Okay, let's get a little closer now. I'm circling the mirror. Why we need to hear this, Emmanuel with us. Some of you have heard me say this before. We, we asked this question. Some of you have asked it of one another already this morning. You'll ask it, I know, as you're leaving to go home. How are you? And our response is an acronym. FINE, F-I-N-E which really means fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. <laughs> Folks, you need to understand, I'm fine in the way I just described. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? We need a manual. I need a manual. We need Emmanuel. And this beautiful, sweet, surprising reminder of his saving love. Now Joseph, again, he doesn't get a lot of love. He doesn't get a lot of press. But you know what? The deal is he's not the main attraction. So that's okay. And I think he would have been okay with it too. That child is the main event. He's the one that the, the spotlight is on. You know, we, we, it's, it's custom. We, in our... Culture, we send out announcements, right, at the time of big deals. Like, I, I don't doubt that this week and next week and maybe weeks prior and to come, we've, we've gone out to the mailbox and you get, you know, it's kind of poofy. It's, it's a wedding announcement, right? And, and, and some of us have given and, and received graduation announcements, right? Because we want people to know. It's customary when, when children come into our families to, to send out birth announcements, right? Because we want people to join with us in, in rejoicing with the arrival of this child. Well, this is a, an announcement too, but in a different sort of way. It, it's Jesus' birth is an announcement. You understand? 
And it's not sent by Joseph and Mary, but by God. And God is saying to all who have ears to hear, mine is a redirecting, ennobling, saving love. And I know that surprises you, but you need to hear it. I know that surprises you, but you need to hear it. And my friends, I think that's something we need to learn and relearn again and again and again and again. Can we pray? Oh Lord, we rejoice with this reality that we can all learn something of You anytime. The testimony of creation, the witness of our consciences, and the revelation of Your Word. As You speak to us, even here in Matthew 1, of something more of who You are and Your ways with us, Oh, we pray that You would help us to consider these things more deeply and to thank You for these reminders and to delight in these realities that You do love us such that You will redirect. You don't leave us to go in the ways we might be inclined to go. You do ennoble us. You think far more of us and our feeble efforts than we even would. And You love us enough to save us and a salvation that goes far more deeply and much further out than we often think. And this, these surprising things we pray, these, these things we didn't expect, maybe even as we came in this morning to hear, oh, we pray, we ask, we plead, we beg that You would press into our hearts and they would, they would come out in how we think and how we speak and how we do and how we live because we believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, if I may.